Good morning. Um, thank you all for, I know we've kind of thrown the orders of worship and the rotation of preachers, we've kind of moved that around a little bit in the last few weeks. We're trying to make sure that we don't get stuck in, in one spot so that there's something fresh and new. Uh, and it gave me the opportunity uh, to preach in Mosaic, and I haven't been in last week. I haven't been in there until or since, since Advent of last year. And by the way, if you haven't been to Mosaic, I encourage you to tr check it out sometime. It, it might not be the music you love, um, but there's a feel in there. And that place, the, the Mosaic, the uh, original sanctuary, is they sit around tables, but it's, it's full. Um, it's been really, it's really been wonderful to see that worship service develop and to see Josh turn into not just the man of God he has been, but to see him become a really, really good preacher, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the Lord does through him and his team when they head off to plant next, plant a new church, a new campus of Community Reformed Church next year. Um, we are, this week and one more, uh, we'll be finishing up our series on the uh, on community's core values, and today we're on both my favorite and my least favorite of the core values, because it is the hardest one, I think, to truly live out. It's what we call less self. Um, next week, faith is a journey, right? You're preaching there. Uh, that and that, of course, I mean, that one, that one makes sense. Of course, it's not that, you know, you come to Christ and everything's done. That's the beginning of a long journey of faith. But today, especially in the world that we live in, this idea of less self, of showing preference to other people, um, it is as countercultural as anything could possibly be. So I'm going to offer a prayer. We'll read the core value, and we're going to look at two different, um, two different passages. Both are authored by the Apostle Paul. Let's pray together. Lord, the world is raging. For quite some time, we've been looking at what's happening in Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia and all the surrounding areas, and we've been concerned about what's happened in Iran, and now with Hamas, and Hezbollah, and Lebanon, and Israel, and all that happened just a week ago yesterday, and it still remains, continues to happen today, and Lord, just this morning, having some conversation about what does this mean? What is, are you coming back? Is this the end? Lord, we don't know, but we know the one who does, so we trust you. We trust you. We know that you weren't surprised by the events of October 7, nor are you surprised by what's happening today. And you will not be surprised by whatever comes tomorrow. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we bless you for that. We also thank you that <clears throat> as the flowers fade and the grass withers, your word remains forever. And so, Lord, we, we commit ourselves to you commit ourselves to your scriptures, commit ourselves to your teaching and to your call in our lives. So Lord, as, as your word goes out, do not let it return void. Have it accomplish what you intended to accomplish. I pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive whatever you have to show us, to tell us, or to give us. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So this, uh, this core value... I haven't spoken much this morning, and nor did I speak much yesterday, so my voice is a little 
I don't know what the word is, verklept. Um, uh, it reads like this. We believe that we are to look not only to our own needs, but also to the needs of others. Our leadership, our ministries, our missions, and even our people will grow more and more into the people that God wants us to be by continually looking for how we might prefer the other over ourselves. We believe that if our church and our people are defined by showing preference to other churches, ministries, and people, God will be glorified. And our ultimate goal is to give glory to God. Now, I, don't, I, I, I find very few people, any, it, that's particular to our church, but, but any core value of any Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, they're going to sound familiar. They're going to they're be similar. I know that, that, uh, that Josh and his launch team right now are, are trying to define what their core values are of this new church plant. They'll look similar, um, but they'll be, there's something distinct. Um, but I, I, I find it about, it's about 10 years ago when we authored this particular core value. And I don't think we knew where the world was headed. I don't think we knew just how big of a deal it would be to, to consider less self, to consider showing preference to other people. Because even in the last 10 years, our world has gone from, from a sense of doing good in our community to doing whatever makes me feel good about myself. And you may be familiar with this story. I just read it again this morning. There are two or three different versions of it from the Greeks to the Romans. They, they kind of get moved in, but it's an old, old, old myth about a particular person. He was a son of, two, of, a, of a god and a nymph, um, but his name was Narcissus. And he was, one of the he was the most beautiful creature to ever walk the planet. And he was going to do just fine. Everybody, men loved him and desired him. Women loved him and desired him. And there's a story of him and this pursuit of, of another called Echo that she wanted him. And then, but, but, but Zeus's wife cursed her. And so she couldn't speak with a voice of her own. That's where we get the word Echo. She could only repeat the, the words of others. But, but one, of the, one of these other God men, and I put that in quotes because it's just mythology, um, uh, was so upset with Narcissus that, that, that he would not respond to the desire that the other had for him, that he sought out another god called Nemesis, and Nemesis cursed Narcissus so that when he went to get a drink of water and leaned into the pool to, to, to drink, he saw his own reflection. It's the first time he'd ever seen himself. And he fell so much in love with himself that he leaned, one version of the story is he leaned forward in order to kiss himself, fell into the water and drowned. The other version of the story is that he could not take his eyes off of himself and he just sat and stared and stared in self-love, stared and stared and stared, stared until he just wasted away and died. Either way, that's where we get the idea, the term narcissism. And if you look at our world today, it is defined primarily by narcissism. That's not the only thing, but it is about self-love, self-actualization, what I want for myself. What, what's true for me may not be true for you, but all I need to do is what is good for me, what satisfies me, what gratifies me, and, and you don't have any right to tell me otherwise. This is not unfamiliar. If you just you look at advertising, just even back in the 80s, it's like, I deserve this. 
I deserve, I need. Advertising's whole job is to convince you that you need something you didn't even know existed. Nothing against it. People have product to sell. And if, if it is a good product, people will buy it and will continue to buy it. And that provides livelihoods for people. And, and, and I, don't, I don't fault anyone for having a business or for making a profit. I don't. But the way they get us to buy the product could be viewed as manipulative. Yet we know they're doing it. So Lynn and I, um, we don't have TV anymore. We had some streaming services and we just, we just, I just canceled a bunch of those, but our, uh, our daughter used one of them. There's some shows on there that she likes. And so she re-signed up. And so it's on my TV that I can click that and watch it. But I had paid extra so that I didn't have to watch commercials. And Lynn and I watched Funniest Home Videos this last week um, with commercials. I did not know how good I had it. I may be offering to pay for it again for my children so that I can buy the version that doesn't have advertising. And the reason I tell you this is because if we're going to look at this and we're going to read these scriptures, <clears throat> we have to understand that even back in the first century, when Jesus did what he did, when Paul wrote what he wrote, all of these things then were countercultural. They, they counter the culture, but it is good to counter the culture. We love the, the people in the culture so much that we're willing to counter it. Just like a ship on the water, a ship counters the water. Otherwise, it's just a weird looking building sitting on the shore. It displaces water. The water floats the ship. It is good for the ship to be in the water, but it is not good for the water to be in the ship because then it's not a ship. It's a submarine or a reef. So Jesus, when all the things he said, all the ways he taught, all the things he did, not one of them was about self-glorification. It was, it was all about what he was here to do for you and me. And even when he had harsh words for people, those were motivated out of his love for them. He was warning them, if you continue to go down this way, destruction is the fruit and then Paul, who was transformed by God in a glorious and awful way. And I mean that in awful, full of awe, but you'll hear that story next week about the road, Paul on the road to Damascus. But, but I, want, I want you to keep in mind that when, when, Paul, when Paul was converted, he lost his sight. And God told him to stay at some person's house. And then he called on this guy, Ananias, to go, not the one that died because he sold the property and didn't give all the money. But, and, and Ananias, he goes, go give him back a sight. He's like, uh-uh, I know that guy, uh-uh. I paraphrase, that's not how it's written in scripture, uh-uh. <laughs> but God says to Paul, or God says to Ananias, you go give him back a sight and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. It's awful, and it's awful. God wants us to be a people that look like God and not like Narcissus. And there are dozens of passages that point us in this direction, and one of them is Philippians chapter 2. And I'll just read the first few verses of it. It's very familiar to most of us, but it says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
narcissism. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul, nor Jesus, nor anything in Scripture tells us that we should not consider meeting our own needs. We're still supposed to eat. We're still, still supposed to take on water. We're still supposed to be loved. Um, the, the, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So this isn't self-deprecating love, but it is considering others better more important than ourselves. Man, is that countercultural. And the other thing our culture tells us is that the only thing that matters in the world is love. Can't help who you love. Love is love. Love, 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 love. But it's not defined the way God defines love. There's a great passage. I just, just read it in a wedding last week, but there's a great passage that we're all familiar with from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But I want to ask you to listen to some things before, um, before I read it. Listen for some things. What benefit is it of us? To, what, how do we benefit if we don't have love and don't behave in a loving way? That's the first question to ask yourself. Second one is, when you get to this last one, love is patient, it's kind, Ask yourself, which one of those things have to do with what I feel? There are two. They're not the things you think. Reads like this. If I speak in the tongues of angels, or of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then there's one sentence in verse eight that goes right with this. Love never fails. But sometimes we do. So this is a beautiful description of the love that God has for us. And notice, if I, if I have all kinds of spiritual gifts, if I have all kinds of, of, of ability, if I'm, if I'm martyred for the sake of Christ, but I don't do it out of love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrong. Here's the two that have to do with how we feel. Does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Those of you who are married, I'm going to say something that might not sound nice. I'll say it to the, to the ladies. Your husband married you because he was in love with you. But sometimes he loves you because he's married to you. That sounds negative, doesn't it? But what if it weren't? Or what, what if it's not? What if you had to depend, and I'll just, again, speaking to the ladies, to the wives, what if you had to depend on your husband's emotional mustering of love 
for him to behave toward you in a loving way. Your relationship would be a roller coaster with no tracks after the peak. You would, it, would, it would be awful. My wife tells me, she doesn't do it much anymore, but it was really uh, indicative of the first decade we were married. She would say something like, I love you even though. <laughs> now I get me, I wouldn't be married to me, but I, I, mean, I want to be lovable, but she chose to love me even when I wasn't. That is the love of God. While we were still enemies of God, he sought us out. While we were yet sinners, he redeemed us. So how do we take the love that Christ has for us, incorporate it into our own being in such a way that we treat others the way Christ treats us? Are we patient? Are we really, I mean, it's easy to be kind to people that deserve our kindness, but can we be, and are we willing to be, and do we at least strive to be kind to our enemy? Are we envious? Do we boast? Are we proud? Are we rude? We believe that we are to look not only to our own needs, but also to the needs of others. Our leadership, our ministries, even our people, our missions, even our people, will grow more and more into the people God wants us to be by continually looking for how we might prefer the other over ourselves. What if God did not show us preference? Every one of us sitting in this room and every one of us joining on the phone or online are doomed. It's not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. And in my opinion, and I believe scripture backs me up, although every time period believes that theirs is the most important. But what the world needs today, what West Michigan needs today, what Zealand needs today, is a group of people banding together to care more about what happens to someone else than what happens to me. We can either gaze at our own reflection, being so impressed with ourselves that we're willing to waste away because we're so beautiful to see, or we can gaze at the sun, not the sun, S-U-N, but the sun, S-O-N, who on a cross says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, there's a pastor who's got a great Scottish accent, um, Alistair Begg. Um, it's a five-minute little message. If you, if you want to see it, because he's got the cool accent, you send me an email this week, I'll send you a link. But he, he's preaching on the cross, and he says, if we don't preach the cross to ourselves every day, we're going to turn into narcissists. We're going to turn into whatever the world is. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start taking pride in ourselves and not in Christ. And he tells the story of, of, the, uh, of the criminal on the cross that Jesus says, he goes, he, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be in paradise. It's like, how did that work? How did that happen um, when he showed up to judgment? What are you doing here? Uh, I don't know. Well, what do you know about the doctrine of justification? First time I ever heard of it. 
hmm, let me get my supervisor. Goes to get the supervisor angel. Uh, so tell me about the doctrine of the church. Ta- you know, and he's like, I don't, I don't know. And finally, the guy, the, the guy that was on the cross next to Jesus who just died and showed up for judgment, he shows up in paradise and he finally got frustrated. He goes, he goes, why are you here? He goes, because the guy on the middle cross told me I could be. Folks, that is it. As soon as we start thinking I'm something special, as soon as we start thinking I deserve anything, and I don't mean that God doesn't have good things for you, he does, but it's out of grace that he gives them, out of mercy that he gives them. Grace is not, is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. The fact that God chose you and calls you friend, that he adopted you into his family, that he made you and me, he grafted us into the vine, that he is the life source. He is everything. He is the one that we should gaze upon. He's the one that we should waste away because we don't ever want to take our eyes off of him. He's the one that we should be so convinced is good and the God of the universe that if, if he asked us to, to only love him and never do anything else, that we would be willing to do that and do nothing else. And one of the ways he asks us to love him is to show preference to other people, to look at enemies and bless them, to pray for those who persecute us. You I cannot be a Christian if I'm first concerned about myself. This is the call of God for every follower of Jesus. I'm going to tell you something, one more thing. I know you're getting hungry. We have breakfast this morning. And it is good if your stomach's rumbling. Just hang on there just one more minute. It is impossible to follow Jesus unless you actually follow Jesus. I know that sounds ridiculously simple, but think about it. If Jesus, if anyone, let's say Doug, great leader, if very self-sacrificing, um, you know, I always, I always bothers me in church when people go, you know, I believe in servant leadership. According to scripture, there is no other kind. There isn't. But let's say that Doug walked in and said, hey, folks, this is what the Lord has brought to my heart, and I need you. We got to do something in the parking lot right now, according to the word of God. Um, So I need you to follow me. And we go, man, you're a great leader. Really good to hear. I am so excited that God has revealed this to you. And then we sit here. We're not following Doug unless we follow Doug. We're not following Jesus unless we follow Jesus. He says to the fishers, the fishermen, come and I will make you fishers of men. They had to drop their nets. They had to give up their livelihood in order to go and become the people that God already saw them to be. So how about you? How about us? Are we following our Savior? Because if we are, then we should be patient and kind not envious or boastful, not proud, not self-seeking, not easily angered. We should keep no record of wrongs. We shouldn't delight in evil. We should rejoice in the truth. Because love always trusts, always protects, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, we're gonna fail. 
But the beauty of mercy is that when we mess it up, we go, oh, Lord, forgive me. He already has. He separated my sin from me as far as the east is from the west. And I'm so glad that he states it that way because you can go so far north that you end up going south, but you cannot go so far east that you end up going west. So there's no time in all of eternity that my sin will ever come in contact with me again. Not because of what I've done, but because the one on the middle cross told me I could come. If we are that valuable to God, are not those we come in contact with equally as valuable? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, considers others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We should show preference to the other. There should be more and more them, not us. Every day should be a day of less self. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you. And we pray for peace in this world. Lord, it has to break, it breaks our heart when we hear of babies being murdered. I can't imagine what it does to you. But you are a giving God, a merciful God, a grace-filled God. And you have gifted us as your supernatural vehicle meant to bring those things to an unbelieving world. And while the nations rage against you, your people fight for truth. Help us not only think of truth as knowledge, but truth as service. In Jesus' name, amen. years, um, Diane and I go, my wife, one of the founding members of the church, of the family. Well, I was given the great honor and pleasure of being an elder here at Community Reform Church. I was an elder for five years. Uh, I ended about five years ago. Tell us uh, something that you really loved being a part of here at Community. Well, I mentioned to you I was an elder. I got to be the first elder of hospitality here. And I love the people here. And it was a great pleasure. I got to be involved in the people themselves. Yeah. Seeing, hearing them, hearing voice their opinions. Yeah. It was a great thing. It was fun. When I joined, one of the pastors told me, if you believe it or not, every family here has a major issue. Health, um, money, alcohol, gambling, whatever. Do you believe me? And like, no, I don't believe him. At the end of the five years, uh, I believed him. Hmm. Everybody's human. I was surprised how open people were with me. You know, it really surprised me, but it was a good surprise. Yeah. What's a way that you've seen God at work in your life? Well, 
some people here might know my story, but um, years ago I was a firefighter for 19 years. Then I got electrocuted on the job. It didn't show up at first. Then later on I've had uh, 26 surgeries. My wrist is fused. My elbow's bad in my back. Um, I'm missing a leg. They took my leg off. I got a bone infection. They took more of my leg. I got a bone infection. They took my leg, but it's doing good. Then a little while later, Diane, my wife, had uh, upwards of 20 heart attacks. Then uh, in April 2021, I got COVID. I went on a ventilator. On May 4, May 5, I went into cardiac arrest. Um, clinically dead. You died? I died. Then we went on and um, they got me going again. Then I had uh, COVID pneumonia in both lungs. I lost 45% of my lungs. I have minor heart damage. Um, when they pulled the vent out, they hooked my epiglottis and my voice box and it just poked. Yeah. So if you don't believe in miracles, just look at me. Diane and I both. Can you tell everyone a way that you've seen God at work in the life of this church? Yeah. You know, when I became an elder, I didn't know how people were going to accept me. So one time I was talking with this gentleman, an elderly gentleman, just random in town. And he asked me if I knew God as my savior. I'm like, oh yeah. And he says to me, I said, actually, I have the great honor of being an elder at Community Reformed Church. And when he looked at me, his, he's like, really? They must be scraping the bottom of the barrel. He and said he says to me, he says, you know, with your shaved head, your earrings, your tattoos, you know, that wouldn't happen at our church. Well, then it, it got me thinking, you know, I never had an experience like that in our church. Everybody's always welcomed me with open arms. They trust me. They, you know, they, they, I'm one of them. You know, I, if you go to like the fall kickoff or you go to the breakfast, you know, who's waiting on us? It's the elders, the deacons, the pastors. I'll see Trent taking out the garbage. You know, it always amazes me. When Diane and I, we went through a lot. Every time, it's always these people. You know, they, the, the prayers, you can feel the prayers. You know, you can, you know, the, the cards, the visits, the food. Um, it's, oh yeah, and peanut butter cookies. I love them, <laughs> got them. But you know, the people are amazing. It's, uh, it always comes back to me that these are my people. If you, I looked at it, when that gentleman said that to me, I thought about that. Like if I was not a person of faith or of a religion, and I looked at Community Reformed Church, and I see the people, would I want what they have? It always, that's always sticks in my head. By their uh, attitudes and their actions, their generosity, I would believe they would. I truly believe they would see what we have in our God and want that. I really believe that.